Good morning. Wherever you are today, I want to assure you of something. God is still on his throne. God is still in control. And that as bad as it may seem, those who believe in Christ ultimately will be okay. Even after the eclipse. So I hope everybody has got your eclipse plans and uh, got your glasses and and are going to be wherever you're going to be. I was talking with somebody the other day, and I said, i got a great plan. What we're going to do is we're going to rent out spaces, parking spaces, for $20 a piece for people to come out and watch the eclipse. And then if they come to church on the following Sunday, we give them their money back. What a deal, all right? I think that would be a record attendance. But all joking aside, uh, I'm sure that uh, there will be people in our parking lot watching it and in the field, and, and I would encourage you to do the same thing. But... Uh, as we come to our worship today, uh, we're not talking just about the eclipse. We're talking about the power of the sun. Not just the sun that's in the, in the sky, but the sun of Jesus Christ. And we come today to this fact that the reason there is so much unrest, the reason that many of us can't stand to turn on the television or look at our news feed on our computers and our phones is because... Everything is just so toxic, so hate-filled. And so where do we fall in the middle of that? And what we see today in our text is what we're living today, is the fact that there are irreconcilable differences between those that claim Jesus as their Savior and Lord and those that don't claim Him at all. Irreconcilable differences. About the only time I hear that term is when you hear it uh, in relation to, like on TV or, or on news or just when friends are talking about divorce, and they'll say, well, they had irreconcilable differences. And I was wondering what that meant. And uh, basically it means, number one, that, that there is the existence of significant differences between a married couple that are so great and beyond resolution as to make the marriage unworkable and for which the law permits divorce. In other words, it has gotten to the point in a marriage to where one is going to be a little bit of country and the other one's going to be a little bit of rock and roll. You know that old uh, Osmond song? Many of you have no idea what I'm talking about. But uh, basically, you just get to where you're not in sync. And so it's basically throwing your hands up and say, look, we, we can't work this out. It's a no-go and so they go get a divorce. Or the other thing is, is that it's a divorce uh, permissed uh, or it's allowed on the grounds of irreconcilable differences, meaning that no one is really considered at fault for the divorce. So they just want to kind of end it, you know. And so it's in either way, it's just it's a clause, I guess, when it says there's there's no real like infidelity or there's no real threat to, to safety or anything like that. But it's just. You just grow apart, and so now it's just, we got things that we can't put together, so we're just going to call it quits. And, and some of you have been in that situation, and I don't mean to make light of that. I don't make light of that. But I do think it is a great illustration of where we are today in our world, is that we as believers, we have our convictions, we have our Word of God, we have the Holy Spirit and dwelling within us, and there are certain convictions that, that we will not let go of, we should not let go of, and that Christ commands us to hold on to. 
And then there are other people in the world that don't share the authority of this book, that don't share the respect for Jesus, don't share the respect for his work. And so they are on the opposite ends of the spectrum. And so we come to our passage today and we see that we continue this inquiry of who Jesus is. The religious leaders are still trying to, A, put a price on his head so that he can be taken out. They can eliminate the problem that this Jesus guy is causing for them. But when we see it, some wanted to understand him. Some truly heard his teachings and wanted to understand what he was saying. Some just wanted him to go away. Others wanted to kill him. And there are just a few who wanted to worship him. So our world has not come far from that same point today. Through many years have passed. But Jesus, he walked this earth and his humanity, our humanity still argues over the fact of his existence. And we disagree and are divided over the legitimacy of Jesus being the true Messiah. You see, many refuse to worship a God they cannot understand. Many refuse to worship a God they cannot understand. But let me flip that around and say this. Why would we not want to worship a God who is beyond our understanding? Why would we not want a power in our life that is greater than our own? Folks, if we can lasso it, And if we can own it and we can manipulate it, it has no power in our life. It's operating under the power that we exert over it. So I don't know about you, but if I'm going to worship a deity, if I am going to worship a God that is so big that he created this universe, that right now his hands are orchestrating this great Eclipse, And I don't know why this needs to happen. I'm sure there are some scientists that can tell us what, what's the necessity for this. But I do know this. God's hand has orchestrated it. Why do we want to worship something that we can understand when there is true power in worshiping a God that is beyond our understanding and beyond what we can comprehend? Well, that's a question only you can ask. That's a question our world is asking because our world wants to to own it, to to know it, to be able to manipulate it and to call it their own and to be able to exert uh, control over it, much like a a wild bronco in in the wild west that has to be broken. They want to take God. They want to take his precepts. And they want to take this word and they want to make it fit their lives rather than their lives, fitting what this says. Well, the first thing we see in our passage today is that we are all blinded by our pride. We are all blinded by our pride. Let's look at verses verses 25 and 26 in chapter 7. And we see that the crowd here, they were blindsided by Jesus' boldness. They were blindsided by Jesus' boldness. It says in verse 25, Some of the people who lived in Jerusalem started to ask each other, Isn't this the man they are trying to kill? But here he is, speaking in public. And they say nothing to him. Could 
our leaders possibly believe that he is the Messiah. What we see is we see people that are using a little bit of reasoning, a little bit of common sense to know if this Jesus is as bad as everybody is making him out to be. How is he talking in as a wanted man, talking in public? People are listening to them and no one is saying or doing a thing against him. There were people that saw his boldness and they said, if he can be that bold, maybe there is something to this. The crowd began to realize that there may be a cover up going on. There may be a scandal because Jesus and his boldness was preaching in the temple with a price on his head. Yet the religious leaders, as they said a moment ago, said nothing. Folks, let me tell you something. When the world that we live in, when the community that we live in, when the family that we live in, when the workplace we work in, when they see us take a bold stance for Jesus Christ and for what we believe, they will see Christ in you. Just as this world loves to attack Christians for what they believe, they cannot argue with the power from which we come from. Because if they hate Jesus and they hate God's word, that's a whole lot better than hating us. Because folks, we'll be around for a while, but we'll be gone. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I've had people that have been mad at me when I tell them, look, I love you and, and, and I'm not trying to be better than you, but this is what the Bible says about this. And if they get mad at God, they can deal with Him. But folks, your boldness, your ability to say, look, I am a Christian. And you don't have to be preachy about it. But if you could just say, look, I am a Christian. I believe what the Bible says. I believe in Jesus Christ, that He is the Messiah. In this day and age, so many people are going to say, wow, that takes guts to say that. And folks, when they see that boldness, they will see the truth, just as the crowd did And this passage, James McDonald put it this way. He said, we are to open our mouths and unapologetically testify for the saving power of Jesus Christ. We are to be bold. Many of you are sitting in this room today because somebody was bold in their faith. Maybe it was a parent, a family member, a friend, a preacher. Somebody was put in front of you. To boldly proclaim the love of God in your life. And you are placed in the lives of others to do the very same. But in verse 27 we see that the crowd was blinded with the wrong information. Oh my goodness. What are we talking about in the Bible here? Fake news. You ever heard that term? Fake news. Oh, If it's on Facebook it must be true. Oh, if it comes on the TV, then that is the gospel truth. We have learned, have we not, that on both sides of issues, that people will twist whatever information it is to get their agenda out. Folks, in this day in which this was written, there was a lot of fake news about Jesus Christ. And we see here, it says in verse 27, but how could he be? 
In other words, how could he be the Messiah? For we know where this man comes from. And when the Messiah comes, he will simply appear. No one will know where he comes from. Survey says, eh, wrong. Because in Micah 5, verse 2, it clearly says thousands of years before Jesus comes to this earth, that the Messiah will reign and come from Bethlehem. So they have got facts that are not true. It's the old, you know, they say. The experts say that no one will know where Jesus is coming from. It's fake news. It's wrong. And it's people are basing, these people here are basing their lives on a lie. Let me tell you this. The biblical illiteracy of the crowd worked against them. They were blown to and fro because they did not know what the Bible said at that time, the Old Testament writings. They did not, and the Jews did, but they ignored it. They knew the truth, but they exchanged it for a lie so that they could have in their ears what they wanted to hear. Folks, my friend, I'll tell you this, whether you are 5, 15, 25, 35, 85, or beyond, if you do not know what the Bible says, you will be like a ship in the ocean without an anchor. God help you and God help me it's the only news that we get and the only truths that we believe are from talking heads on the screens in front of us. Folks, if there was ever a time to know what God's word says, it is today. Because as long as you, I mean, look, I understand it's hard to spend time during the week to read the Bible. You would think as a preacher that it's just all I do all day is read the Bible. But folks, we all have things in life that we have to do. But not just hearing preaching, but reading the Bible and understanding what it says will give you a great insight to what's going on today. Do not be blinded today by fake facts. Verses 28 through 36, the crowd was blind to their own lack of strength and understanding. Verse 28 says, while Jesus was teaching in the temple, he, he cried out, or some, some say called. He cried out, yes, you know me, and you know where I come from, but I am not here on my own. The one who sent me is true, and you don't know him. And about that time, all the Jews went, <gasps> what did he just say? Because the Jewish leaders prided themselves, prided themselves on being God's chosen people and being the only way to God because they knew God from all of the religious duties that they kept. Verse, 20, verse 29 says, Jesus said, but I know him because I come from him and he sent me to you. They were so mad they had steam coming out of their ears. Jesus' cry here is addressing the irony of the situation. You know what he's saying? He, he's saying, you think you know me. You think you know me, but you really don't. Folks, let me tell you something. These 
religious leaders and some in the crowd and even today in in universities and in places of higher education, there are people that are a lot smarter than you and a lot smarter than me. Their IQ test could go off of the charts. I think of someone like Stephen Hawking. Years ago, he said there was a God. Now he has come back and said, there is not a God. I'm not sure what changed in his life, but I would never try to match wits with him. I would be better off trying to play tennis against John McEnroe if he still plays or something like that. It would be crazy to think that I could match wits with him. But you know what? (laughs) Anybody that bases their knowledge on their own pride is ignorant. Is ignorant. How do I know this? James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We were getting ready this morning, and David Jeremiah was on the TV, and he actually talked about that verse, and my ears perked up. And, and he said, I don't know about you, but it's one thing. I mean, we all want God's blessings. Do we really want God to oppose us? I don't think so. Well, we see here that in verse 30 it says, Then the leaders tried to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his time had not yet come. So here we see a a glimpse of what's about to happen at the cross. Verse 31, Many among the crowd at the temple believed in him. After all, they said, Would you expect the Messiah to do more miraculous signs than this man has done? In other words, what else does he need to do? Well, you've seen him heal a man on the Sabbath. Verse 32 says, When the Pharisees heard that the crowds were whispering such things, they and the leading priests sent the temple guards to arrest Jesus. So what we have here now in this conversation is two groups are forming. Here are the two groups. Group number one, those who are following the agenda of the religious leaders and are blindly following their hate to hate Jesus. Now, I know we're in Bible study mode right now. We're in church mode. But if you were just to take that principle and overlay it over Charlottesville. Oh, yeah, that happened, right? If you were to take this concept and to overlay it over Baton Rouge, over Oklahoma City, over Anderson, South Carolina, and over Holman Park. They showed videos of, of, of people kicking the statue that had no idea why they were kicking it. And we are just so inundated with why we need to hate one another. And people are believing it hook, line, and sinker. Well, this is not the first time it happened. It has happened long ago because people are not following God's Word. They are following the opinions of other people that have taken this, twisted it, and distorted it in in ways that are just unfathomable. Folks, we can't expect people to act like civil people when someone changed the book. You remember years ago, I remember when I was in student ministry, That was back when this whole relativism thing first started, where there's no black and white, there is just gray for everything. People of this generation do not know what they believe because they were saying there are no absolute truths. And this is the result 
that we have. That's the first group. The second group were those who were listening to Jesus and wanting to begin to believe. Verse 33 says, but Jesus told them, I will be with you only a little while longer then I will return to the one who sent me. Now you will search for me, but you will not find me and you cannot go where I am going. So, of course, the Jewish leaders were puzzled by this statement. Where is he planning to go? They asked. Is he thinking of leaving the country and going to the Jews and other lands? In other words, they're saying this boy better not go take this mess over to somebody else. We got to stop this guy. And then maybe he will even teach the Greeks. What does this mean when he says you will search for me, but not find me and you cannot go where I am going? Folks, when he says that it's not my time, I want you to understand this. Jesus cannot be bound. Jesus cannot be bound by our timeline. As a matter of fact, he defines our timeline. You've got B.C. and A.D. When you go study your history courses, B.C., before Christ, A.D., after his death. He cannot be bound by our timeline. He cannot be bound by our strength. As strong as you are, he is stronger. He cannot be bound by our understanding because as smart or as dull as you are, He is so much more. And the second thing we see is He says, My hour is not at hand. We know now that He was talking about the cross. But folks, there is another hour in which we wait for. And that is His return. When the sky splits and He comes back and He takes us to be with Him Forever, for eternity. I was talking with somebody the other day. How awesome would it be that when the sun and the moon collide, or not collide, but they they go in front of each other, and it gets totally dark during the day, that that just obliterates, and Jesus Christ comes back on a white horse and takes the church home. Oh, man, that would be beautiful. His time has not yet come for His second coming. But it's on his way. When is it coming? I have no idea. Jesus says he doesn't know. But when his father says go, he's going. And I cannot wait. And don't worry, it's been forecasted. Jesus is coming again. And no darkness shall hide from him. And when you gaze into the sky tomorrow, do it with glasses, approved glasses, ISO glasses. Okay, when you gaze into the sky at the eclipse tomorrow, remember, you will be receiving mercy or judgment on that day when Jesus Christ comes back, depending on your belief in Christ. Well, we also see there's an invitation. Jesus's invitation to come and drink living water, to come and drink living water. Remember, they were at the Festival of the Booze, the the Festival of the Tabernacles. And uh, I tell you what, I love a fireworks show. Y'all like fireworks? What's the best part of the fireworks show? The finale. Thank you. The finale. The the biggest explosions and the coolest colors and and all of these things. It It is beautiful to see that finale. But then once the finale is over, you pack up your stuff and you go home. 
on the last day of the festival of boots, on the finale of this festival, the priest would march seven times around the altar chanting Psalm 118.25. Seven times marching around the altar, Psalm 118.25. I don't know about you, but when I read that, I thought, well, what does Psalm 118.25 say? Let me tell you, it says, Pray, please, Lord, save us. Please, Lord, give us success. Please, Lord, save us. Please, Lord, give us success. Please, Lord, save us. Please, Lord, give us success. Over and over and over again until they marched around the altar seven times. And all of that was just an annoying ringing in the ear of God because it was religious and it had nothing to do with them truly wanting to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. They are chanting to God while they are ignoring His Son. What does that mean to you and what does that mean to me? It means to every church that is operating today. If we come in here and we shout, please Lord save us. Please Lord bless us. Please Lord give us your mercy. But yet we reject His Son in everything we do. It is just as annoying. And these religious leaders thought that they were doing something great by doing this chant. And the priests, they would pour out water as a symbol of Moses bringing water from the rock in the wilderness. And this is what he says in verses 37 to 39. On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowd, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not entered his glory. Jesus takes just a moment to teach those about the living water that is to come. The living water that we enjoy today, that we drink from today, his Holy Spirit. What does this do? No longer will you need to sacrifice animals. No longer will you depend on a priest to seek atonement on your behalf. No longer will your religious duties be required to get closer to God. Jesus' invitation wasn't, come and do more things for me. He said what? Come and drink. I don't want you to do things for me as much as I just want you to accept me. I'll work on the stuff that you're going to do. But don't do things thinking that you're earning my pleasure. Just love me. Just accept me and drink this water. (laughs) But the problem here in this passage for the religious leaders and many in the crowd, they were thirsty and they didn't even know it. When When I see these passages like this, I think of, my football days in high school where right before school would start, we would have two-a-days. You remember two-a-days, guys? Oh. Two practices trying to beat the, the hottest part of the day. You have one in the morning, one in the evening. And uh, they had this crude water trough. It was basically two sawhorses with a lead pipe and holes drilled in it attached to a garden hose. <laughs> we didn't have bottled water. Can you believe it? We didn't have Evian. We didn't have 
Aquafina or, or all these other days, living water or smart water. Yeah, I drink smart water. I got news for you. It's false advertising. It doesn't help. But that crude old trough that we would go up to, man, even though the water was lukewarm, it was still cooler than the, the temperature we were in. And man, it tasted good because we were thirsty. Folks, I hate to say it, this world is thirsty and they don't know it. They're too prideful to stop and take a drink. Because it might look like a water trough to them and they want sparkling water. Folks, we've got to keep our pride in check and I hope this world can do the same thing. But the Holy Spirit will quench our need for God. You see, religious actions, what the priests were doing, religious actions revolve around our efforts to please God in order to delay His wrath. But Jesus' efforts appease God's wrath in spite of our efforts. This is the paraphrase for the come and drink living water section. Our religious actions revolve around our efforts to please God in order to delay His wrath. If we sing loud enough, if we clap loud enough, if we have the right worship style, if we, if we preach the right way, if we go to church enough, if we do enough things in the church, if we go to church enough, if we do these things and we will receive God's pleasure and God's saying, I've already given you my pleasure. It's not about what you do or what you don't do in religious duties. It is the fact that I have sent Jesus Christ, my Son, and He, and He alone, can appease that sin debt. And so when I get ready to pour my wrath upon this world, and I look at you, I am going to see my Son, Jesus Christ. It's not that foreign of a concept, folks. He did it years ago with the Passover. They put the blood on the door jam, and where it was, the death angel passed by, God's wrath passed by those who believed enough to sacrifice with blood. And God's wrath will pass those who have accepted Jesus Christ as His Savior and Lord. That is what His Word says. So folks, quit trying to earn your salvation. Quit trying to be religious enough Quit trying to think that if you do enough that you'll be a better person. God loves you just as you are. Step one, accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. Step two, make Him your Lord. Jesus is not your co-pilot. Jesus is your pilot. Last but not least, we see committing to false beliefs is divisive and deadly. Committing to false beliefs is divisive and deadly. When the crowds heard him, starting in verse 40, when the crowds heard him say this, some of them declared, Surely this man is a prophet we've been expecting. And others said, He is the Messiah. Still, others said, But he can't be. Will the Messiah come from Galilee? For the scriptures clearly state that the Messiah will be born of the royal line of David in Bethlehem, the village where King David was born. So the crowd was divided about him. Some even wanted him arrested, but no one laid a hand on him. 
Just as Jesus Christ divides our very measurement of time, so does he divide our world today. The difference between my will and his will. I'm in control of my life or he's in control of my life. I am okay or I am empty. I am right or he is right. I don't need to change. Or the other side would be, he wants to change me to be more like him. Folks, don't miss this. The prejudice of the leaders caused them to refuse Jesus' words and works. I'm about to get real bottom line here for what's going on today. People today find it much easier to label people as the world sees them than to love them as God created them. People are letting prejudices become their promises. People are letting prejudices trump this. Don't think that a white supremacist is embracing biblical doctrine. Don't think that those on the other side of white supremacy, whatever movement it might be, are embracing biblical democracy. Don't think that our elected officials are embracing this to find a solution for what's going on today. Every one of them is grandstanding and trying to get as many votes no one has, none of them have been a microphone they didn't like. It's posturing. It's making themselves look good so the other people can look bad. It's like middle school, but just volatile. Because people are not basing their actions and their opinions off of God's Word. They're basing it off of their feelings and what everybody else will think about them. And that is why this world is going to hell. And that is why we are in such unrest. And that is why it is not going to get better until the church of Jesus Christ drops their prejudices and they preach the gospel in word and deed. Our world will never be right. Until the church stands up in love and show the gospel, share the gospel and be able to say, look, when you're talking with people, what you see on TV, that's not what I signed up for. That's not in here. What you see on your Facebook feed, that is not truth. Let me go ahead and tell you something. This is a side note. I know I need to, I need to finish. I know the pot roast is almost ready. Don't get into an argument with somebody on Facebook. Don't do it. I mean, that's like trying to match. Well, I'll just stop there. That's not the place to have an argument. Don't get in a Twitter war with somebody. Here's the thing you've got to remember. If you disagree with somebody and they say something about you or something you've posted, make it a two-post minimum. They, you say something, they want to fight it. You say something back, they still want to fight it. Then you say on a private message or somewhere on the side, let's talk about this. Because putting your opinions and YouTube videos and uh, memes and all this kind of stuff, it's just noise. And it's not solving the problem. Maybe the best thing that we could do is just focus on what we need to focus on the gospel and how Jesus brings us together because this 
at this time when this was written, they were divided by prejudice. Just like our world is today. And then last but not least, I would say, I'll skip a little bit and just say near the end, I love it. Nicodemus, we see him again. You remember Nicodemus? You remember good old Nick? We found him in John chapter 3. He's the one that, that initiated the most popular verse ever written. He said, what must I do to be born again? Nicodemus did. He went to Jesus at night. What must I do to be born again? Well, to, to, to be born again, you know, you must accept Jesus Christ. And he's like, born again? Can I? I don't, I don't understand that. Jesus explained it to him, and we never saw any resolution until this. Look who's standing up for Jesus. One of the religious leaders who evidently had a lot of power. And he stands up. And they're, they're trying to railroad Jesus. And then Nicodemus, the leader, it says in verse 50. Then Nicodemus, the leader who had met Jesus earlier, spoke up. Is it legal to convict a man before he is given a hearing? He asked. They replied, are you from Galilee too? Search the scriptures and see for yourself. No prophet comes from Galilee. So what they did is they, the religious leaders basically gave him a shut-up card. And they went on and they did what they wanted to do. Folks, if you are trying to find harmony with Jesus in this world, please stop today. Prejudices, prejudices and blind evaluations are not supported in Scripture. And they will always bring division. Quit saying they say. You know, they say that, I heard the other day that, what you need to say is, he says. God's word says. Because there will always be irreconcilable differences between Jesus and this world. And I'll say this. Whichever you choose, to live for God or against God, do it all the way. The most miserable people in the world are those that follow Jesus Christ, but yet cannot let go of the world. Jesus put it this way in Revelation chapter 3 to the church of Laodicea. In two verses, verses 15 and 16, he says, I know the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you are lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Jesus doesn't do lukewarm, folks. If you're going to live for the world, go out and have fun. But if you're going to live for Jesus, quit trying to walk the fence. And live as he has called you to live. That is where you will find true power. God, I thank you for this service today. I thank you, Lord, that we can know that, Lord, that our world will always be divided when they seek their own agenda and their own justification. But, Lord, we know that we have the power this morning as Christians and as believers, as disciples, Lord, to take your word in love to counteract all this hate that's out there. Dear Jesus, you are bold in your stance. Help us to take a cue from that. And so, Lord, our invitation this morning is this, Lord, as you are inviting us to join you and to be bold and to not give in to this division that's in our world, but to be the answer, to give you as the answer to those. I pray the believers in here would find strength. And I pray for those that do not believe, 
that they would accept you today and understand what this what we're talking about here. Lord, we don't want to be on the wrong side of your second coming. So, Lord, if there's anyone here today that wants to pray to receive you as their Savior and Lord or come to this altar and pray or just pray with me, may they do that at this time, Lord. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?